Open your scriptures today to 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, as we turn to that, some may have had some concern that, well, Gary, we've already spent three weeks in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. And, and I'll tell you right up front, it's not going to get finished today. But in my defense, uh, there's, a, you know, there's not much time left today. So it's going to be a, a five-weeker in those, in those verses. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, once again, we're so thankful you're a God who has spoken. And not only spoken, but superintended the writing down of what you'd said. And through the work of your Spirit has put it in a form we have access to. And then, through your Holy Spirit's work, You illumine our hearts as we study what you've said. So, Lord, in this time we have together this day, illumine our hearts. Help us to understand, to see the applications of the things you went to the trouble to say and breathe out. To recognize those changes or alterations in our thinking, in our behaviors. To please you with our lives. We'll give you thanks for that, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you know, this fifth chapter, opening of fifth chapter, is about the issue of how God wants leadership to work within the framework of the church. Leadership, that is, in the terms used earlier in the book of 1 Peter, uh, leadership for that sojourner exile community, or the NIV uses the word alien for the same translation. So, uh, leadership ideas for the aliens, those who are living in a world that's not their world, but God has sovereignly placed them there. And bottom line is that God wants leadership in the framework of the church, the local church, to be counter-cultural. It's his expectation that it would be. As in many of the other countercultural things we've been looking at in 1 Peter, part of the light in the darkness of the world is the fact that we are countercultural. Not just for the sake of being countercultural, but countercultural for the sake of aligning with God's truth. And that is going to put us in a place where there's light in the midst of darkness. In Matthew chapter 20, that we had looked at, Jesus was talking to his disciples, seeing how they were discussing, arguing, slash, about leadership. And uh, he makes the statement to them, you know, in the kingdom. This leadership stuff. He says, let it not, this is how the Gentiles do it. And he makes a statement, not so with you. That's not how I want leadership to function and work out in the context of the community. And we've been looking at some of these not so with you issues. You know, what, what is the countercultural dimensions of this? The first thing we looked at is that God actually wants the local church to have leadership. That corrects some of that 
independent Americanism where people think, oh, well, we'd all do better if we had no authority and we could just all let the innate goodness of our hearts blossom out. And uh, No, no, God says, no, there's a, this is an authority place. There's meant to be some sort of structure to the people of God as they gather. Uh, it'll drift, and drift not in good ways, apart from leadership. Secondly, we saw that the church leaders were called to be shepherds, not rulers. So once again, this light in the darkness contrast. God purposely chooses a non-authoritarian sort of image to underscore what a pastor is over against uh, how people perceive leaders in the worldly organizations. Shepherds, and we talked about different aspects of what that means. Now, last time we were talking about the fact that God reminds the leaders that their flock, that the flock that they're a leader in is actually God's flock, not theirs. You know, it's a, it, it isn't like Gary's church or somebody other pastor's church. It's God's flock. And you have a task in it, of course, but yeah, you didn't take over the flock. It's, it's God's flock. A task under his superintendence and his ultimate authority. And then we ended last time by reminding ourselves in verses 2 and 3 that the leaders, even though given a divine assignment to carry out this countercultural leadership in a local flock, they're still only sheep. The assignments and the enablement and the spiritual gifts that God gives out doesn't change a person out of a sheep into some other sort of uh, mixed breed group. You know, uh, In the Old Testament, there was a definite sort of caste system between those that were set aside as Levites and out of those the Aaronic priesthood and they were in places that the average people couldn't be and so there was a break of sorts but in the New Testament it's the priesthood of all believers we talked about that earlier in 1 Peter somebody doesn't stop being one of the flock because they are given the charge of leadership they're still part of the flock they're still a sheep they have a task, but they're still a sheep. So God calls for us to respect and esteem those who have a particular task given to them, but don't fall into the trap of hero worship. There's only one deserving of worship. That's the Lord, not any leader uh, who's out there. Well, that was a real quick summary. Okay, so where are we today? Uh, the fifth of the lessons in these uh, verses, and they're so packed with lessons, of course, is this. He says, shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the charge. The lesson five in this countercultural picture of leadership is that in the church, God commands the under-shepherds to practice oversight. If you want to get a good grasp of what the role is, God's intention anyway, for the role of a pastor, of a spiritual leader in the local church, it's to be practicing oversight. That's the way the ESV translates it. The Greek word here is episkopeo, which is really two words. Skopeo, which means to, to look intently at something. And epi, which means to look at it in an apt manner. So you're looking in an apt manner intently at an issue. It means, that's why it's translated oversight. Someone is given responsibility to keep their hand on the pulse. You know, they, they're, they're watching what's going on and they have an active role in what's going on. It's an engaged sort of thing. You know, you're carrying out oversight. 
demonstrating proper concern. Looking after those things that keep the flock healthy. The under-shepherd is charged with that. Are you keeping the flock healthy? Now, people in a flock can decide they're going to go off of a ravine, despite what you're doing to keep them healthy. All right? Or somebody can get themselves stuck in the thorns, despite what you're doing to keep them healthy. And there's a strategy that the leadership are supposed to carry out in those cases. But nonetheless, the leaders are called to do those things that are going to keep the group healthy. Think in our culture, not many sheep growers around here. There are some, but... Um, think more of the farmer, you know. What, it, what does it mean to oversee the herd? Well, especially for dairy farmers, it means it's, you're going to make sure your feed, that the feed is there. You're going to make sure the water is there. You're going to make sure they're, that they're milked appropriately and uh, properly. It's going to make, you're going to make sure that the shelter is there that they need, especially in our region where you can't just let them kind of be out in the fields all year long. Uh, you need to make sure there's some protection there and you're watching over them. All this overseeing issue. God uses that word by design, by purpose. He could have chosen any other word, but he says, no, no, uh, I like episcopeo because it, it helps you to understand what I'm intending these under-shepherds to be involved in. By the way, the word bishop, as it's in the English, is often used as a translation of that episcopeo. Uh, so what you end up with then is another word that has no meaning <laughs> for the average person, but it sounds spiritual. Uh, if you're going to use a word, use episcopal or something. Don't, don't come up with one of those words. No, because that's, they, there's a lot of baggage with all those kind of terms. Uh, Got to be careful of that. So anyway, let's get back down. So what, what does it mean that somebody is showing proper concern for the sheep and the flock? This intent, apt oversight. What is this all about? Well... First of all, let me underscore for you that it is exercising oversight of the flock. You say, well, what do you mean? It is not exercising oversight of the barn. What is that? Why am I drawing your attention to that? Because oversight ministry is about shepherding. It is about ministry. It is not primarily about administration and management. It's engaged involvement. You follow the different, what, what is being brought out here? It, oversight is about feeding and teaching and discipling and counseling. Being caretakers of the flock, in this case the people. That's what your task is. Not the facility they meet in. That's not the core of oversight. Oversight, episcopeo, is not really about facility or institutional management. Although, sadly, a lot of people have been conditioned to think it is. That that's essentially what it's about. And if you have any other time after you've done that, then maybe think about feeding. You know. but, but you're the one charged with the facility, with the structure, with the administrative dimensions. That's not what overseeing is supposed to be about. 
You know, one of the clearest pictures, I think, to underscore this very point, so I'm not just picking it out of the sky somewhere, but one of the clearest pictures to underscore why that is true was seen in Acts chapter 6. You know, in that first generation blossoming of the church in our New Covenant era, uh, as it began to expand, as the church began to expand, what was happening is that the needs, administrative needs, not, they weren't bad things, they were just administrative needs. The administrative needs began to grow among the people. And as they grew among the people, more and more of the time of the apostles was being spent on the administrative needs. Notice in verse 2 to 4, it says in Acts chapter 6, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, and they said, Wait, wait uh, it's not right that we should be giving up the preaching of the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, not seven men who don't know any better. No, no, there, there was a criteria here. You know, godly people growing, but gifted differently. Get some of those people picked out whom we can appoint to this duty so we can devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word what we need to do. Now, there's nothing wrong with a church having efficient organizational procedures. I mean, that's great. I taught efficiency and leadership management at the university uh, among doctoral students. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with housekeeping. Sure, like a clean house over a dirty house. I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong about any of that stuff. What makes it wrong is that the wrong person's doing it. Do you follow? That, that's, where, that's where it gets in trouble. The under-shepherd is not primarily called to that task. That's not what it's about. That's not the New Testament design of how the church is supposed to operate. The scripture makes it pretty plain that in dealing with the under-shepherds, God measures them, judges them, if we want to use that term, he measures them on how well they're feeding the flock. Remember our study back in Ezekiel? That's what he's measuring them about. He says, how well are you feeding the flock? How well are you taking care of the sheep? Not how well are you making the organizational structure run. The shepherd under-shepherd has not been primarily assigned to a local church flock of believers to keep the organization and facility functioning like a well-oiled corporate machine. That's not their task. Does that mean God doesn't want a church operating like a well-oiled machine? No, I think he does. But he didn't charge the pastor with that responsibility. Now, a shepherd... Under-shepherd can certainly share in some of the administrative tasks, just like everybody else. That, that's okay. Uh, there's times when I'm in the pot sink, helping to clean up after something. <laughs> it's okay to share. We all have responsibilities. But if all I was was cleaning up after our meals, not that I don't like doing that, of course, but if, and if that's all I was doing, something would be out of whack for the church, you follow? Because that, that is one all of us contribute to, but it ought not to take the place of what my primary call 
is, which is to shepherd the flock. In the distribution of spiritual gifts, God has ensured that every flock has gifted laity within it who have the organizational gifts and administrative gifts, if we look at the groupings of spiritual gifts, so that the church can run efficiently and effectively. I didn't decide that. God decided that. Remember, he sovereignly distributes those things. Now, he intends that godly people would do those things. Remember the Acts 2 picture? Carrying out that duty? We want godly spirit-filled people doing things. It's not like I'm not quite there, so I'm, I'm, I'm like on the farm team. And so that, you know, like for right now, I got I to gotta pitch batting practice or whatever, whatever background in sports you've got. Uh, no, no. You gotta, it's all growing, mature people. That's God's intention, exercising the spiritual gifts he's given. In the case of the Jerusalem church, when they spread this message out and ministry out to these gifted laity, they were doing it. The church in Jerusalem wasn't one church meeting in a mega facility. They didn't have any mega facilities. In fact, they were being persecuted. I mean, they met in small groups, and they did some stuff as a whole group, and the disciples were overseeing it. But nobody was taking care of a mega facility. God didn't call the church in Jerusalem to build a mega, mega facility that would rival the temple, and therefore all the Jews would say, well, God must be working there. We'll go there. Contrary to a lot of twisted, unfortunate thinking that happens in Christians in our era. It's like, oh, well, look at that facility. God must be working there. Well, may or may not, but facility doesn't tell you much about that. Uh, might tell you about some other things. Well, the problem is, when those gifted laity, growing in their faith, refuse to step up to the task. That's where the problem happens. Where they don't do what God's gifted them to do. You know, maybe, maybe in disobedience they say, I don't want to do that, I won't do that. You can't make me do that. You know, I'm not going to do that. Or maybe I've let myself get too busy to accept my rightful role in a church and the administrative gift God has given me. I think that happens a lot. And you know what that means? That means you're sinning. And why that I don't mean, well, I'm going to keep doing everything I was doing and then I'm going to add the administrative task. You go back and look at what you're doing. And if you're doing more than God is calling for you to do, you're not doing what he wants. So you need to cut it back, pare it back, so that you can do what God calls you to do. God designs it in such a way that it all ought to fit. It all ought to be able to work out. He doesn't play games with us. The fact of the matter is, whether a, a layperson gifted by God to do a particular administrative function in a church refuses to do it, and therefore is disobedient, or finds themselves too busy to do it, the outcome is the same. There are needs, in the case of Acts 6, widows not getting their food. <laughs> there are needs that don't get met, and in the context of needs got, getting met, it's very likely that there's going to be an under-shepherd looking and saying, these needs aren't going to be met. They have to be met. I'm going to do something about them. 
And they begin gradually to assume more and more of what God never intended them to assume. But because they love the people, they care about the sheep. And they're going to start doing the stuff because other people aren't doing it. By the way, I think this dilemma within the oversight role, this conflict almost that emerges for a pastor and under shepherd, is intensified when people get all messed up on how big the flocks are supposed to be. We talked about that a little bit when we were talking about why does God use the flock imagery and how big can a flock be uh, and still be a flock rather than multiple flocks. You know, where's that line? There's not an exact number on that, but nonetheless, there is a line. Uh, Here's the truth. Stepping away from exposition for a moment, stepping back into my professor role as teaching administrative and leadership uh, in organizational life. Let's assume you're at GE or Sony where I was consulting, and I would say this. Hey, the larger you let your organization get, the more administrative demand there's going to be. The more you do this, the more you allow this, the more mid-level management you've got to have, the more upper management you've got to have. You've got to have this leadership development project going on within the HRD department. Uh, Church is the same. Church is the same. You let a church get bigger, the same advice. (laughs) Either this is going to turn into crisis dysfunction, or you're going to have to have a lot more administrative stuff going on. You're going to have to have people running this thing. You're going to have to have people giving a lot of time and energy over to keeping the oiling going. Otherwise, you're going to crash. I think it's a real issue. Not unrelated to the earlier one that we were talking about. Let's get back to the point. He doesn't say, under shepherds, I'm holding you accountable for oiling the hub on the bicycle wheel. No. Um, I'm holding you accountable for feeding the rider of the bicycle. Holding you accountable. When I did my dissertation a long time ago. The topic that had been approved by Penn State University was, was the topic of doing an, developing a new model of needs assessment in the professions. And the target of that needs assessment model, they agreed to let me use pastoral ministry, the training of pastors, uh, which was all of God. I won't go into all how that happened, but they permitted that. And so, in implementing this, mo- this model of new model of needs assessment in the professions, uh, the purpose of the model was to say, let's make sure that the professional training for those in a profession matches up to what the practice realities are. You know, it doesn't help you to train somebody in something they don't use. You've got to train them in what they're actually supposed to be doing out there, or at least what they're doing. You need to equip them. Uh, the same model, by the way, ended up 
in, in the Lord's plan, being used in a number of professions, several different medical professions, and also in law. But the point of the model was you've got to find out what they're, what they're doing and then look for the match between what you're training them during this formal training and what they're actually doing. If you're training them in things they're not actually doing, it's all kind of waste, all academic. You know, you've got to figure it out. Uh, well, why do I bring that up? Because as I did that uh, and did this extended study uh, to finish the dissertation and in defending the dissertation, one of the things that came out of that was that it became clear as we were looking, as we're looking at a number of evangelical pastors, uh, as the case studies essentially of this, became clear that the dominant demand in all of their lives was administrative. Administrative. And I remember uh, this fellow who was a professor, actually one of the Maritime professors at Penn State uh, in education theory and policy, who was a former Episcopalian priest who, for a variety of reasons, I don't, in my many discussions with him, I don't think he really understood the gospel in terms of resting in it, not because he was Episcopalian, just because of where he was, but we had great times of talking about it anyway. And and with the committee, as as the defense was being made, he said, you know, where where do these pastors get time to shepherd? And I thought, how profound. How profound. Uh, Because he saw saw clearly the implication. We were equipping pastors to be CEOs of going organizations because there was the belief that somehow getting those going organizations was going to evangelize the lost world. It doesn't do it, brothers and sisters. Or if it does, why do we have less impact with the kingdom now than 50 years ago? I mean, if the dominant models, which seem to be so used of God, how come there's less effect in the culture now? And the answer, I believe, is pretty obvious in all of that. So my point to you to end this, instead of jumping into the next lesson, uh, is where do you find the time to shepherd if the people force you to do something else? And, of course, rhetorical question, but important one. Important one. I remember talking to a group of pastors some years ago about it, and, and and I said, "You really need to you really need to talk to your people." I said, "Well, I can't really talk to them because part of the job description that I agreed to made me an administrator of the church." And I said, "Well, there was your problem. Your first thing should have been with the group pastoral committee or." the group of elders or whoever was in charge of that in that church who said, you should have sat down and said, listen, I know you mean well here, but let me start my ministry, if there's going to be any ministry here, with a little biblical clarification. Two-thirds of this job description is unbiblical. And if I agreed to do what the two-thirds is, I would already be contrary to what God wants for me as a pastor. So how could I expect them to bless what I'm going to do here? You know what, the most of the, what came back in the discussion following that? We wouldn't have a job. We wouldn't have a job. 
people wouldn't stand for it. And I just thought to myself, how grievous, how grievous, how grievous. And we wonder why things aren't quite functioning right around. Even if you've got somebody who can teach the Word, but you've locked them into a corner where outside of maybe a Sunday morning, they're never in any place where they can share it with anybody. Remember Paul talking to the Ephesian elders said, you know, throughout the week I was in your homes, I was doing it publicly. We were talking about the application of the Word. Uh, if you lock somebody in a role where there's none of that kind of meeting, how's the shepherding supposed to go on? You know, what's, how's that supposed to happen? Well, Gretchen said I don't have to have a song at the end today, so I appreciate that. So. <laughs> uh, well, I really had the best of intentions to do two of these uh, principles today, but there, there it is, you know, one, one principle. But if we catch it, it's worth spending time. Worth spending time. What in the world does God mean by oversight? It has zero to do with management. It has everything to do with building people. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for a chance to be in your word this day. and Not as much time as perhaps normally we would have, but I pray through your working of your spirit and through your word that you would make this time productive for all of us. Take your word and plant it within us, Lord. Help us to grapple with it, that we might understand in both our thinking and our behaviors and our attitudes how you wish us to be. And we'll thank you for that, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.